0: morning, Fellowship. Man, those songs can preach. Am I right? I don't feel like you need me up here anymore. That was, that was good enough. But this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 116. So if you would turn in your Bibles to, to Psalm chapter 116. Read with me the Word of God. Psalm 116, starting in verse 1. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, as we gather this morning in your name, as we come to worship you in song, to worship you in uh, Hearing Your Word, God, I pray that You would um, show Yourself to us this morning, that we would know Your presence is here with us. God, I ask that the message would be everything and the messenger would be nothing. Lord, that You would increase and that I would decrease. God, we just ask that in the hearing of Your Word this morning that You would uh Cause it to go down deep in our hearts, to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold this morning, Lord. And we love you, and we give you all the praise, and all the honor, and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how's your New Year's resolution coming along, if you even bothered to make one this year? Well, last week, Ron said that the average time a person keeps theirs is until January 12th. So, you got six more days till you can count yours as completed and you can be done with it. Or maybe it's that you've already given up on your resolution and decided that you wouldn't be able to keep it anyway, so what's the point of even trying? Well, today we're going to talk about keeping another kind of vow, and it's a vow that we make to the Lord. It's been said that God helps those who can help themselves. Now, this saying is not found in the Bible, and its principle is not taught anywhere in Scripture. In fact, it's not true at all. And it's the opposite that's true, that God helps those who cannot help themselves. You see, God delights in, in saving not those who, can, who think they can save themselves, but those who believe they have no hope in themselves. He loves to lift up the lowly, And he loves to exalt the meek. He revels in in taking the weakest and the poorest and, and the worst, the rejected of this world, and rescuing them for himself and for his glory. Well, believers, this is good news for us, that God helps those who cannot help themselves. You see, we all find ourselves at times in impossible situations, situations where there is no resolution. There is no hope. Maybe it's difficulties with your health. Could be struggles in your finances. Or maybe it's that you've been praying for the salvation of a loved one and it seems like there's no hope of them coming to the Lord. Or maybe it's a a depression that you feel like you'll never be rid of, that you'll never overcome. But whatever situation you find yourself in this morning the best news that I can give you is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. You don't have to meet Him halfway to, to earn His grace. You don't have to do something in order to, to earn God's help. And we'll see through this psalm that what God did for the psalmist, He will do for you. Therefore, the central truth of this psalm, Psalm 116, is that God is the help Of the helpless. God is the help of the helpless. And it's easy to break this psalm down into two parts. The, The first part, verses 1 through 11, tells what God did for the psalmist. And the second part, verses 12 through 19, tells us what the psalmist will do for God. So, what God did for the psalmist and what the psalmist will do for God. We're going to talk about how to repay God for all he's done. Now, the title of the message is How to Repay God, and those quotes are there on purpose because it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. We can't truly and fully repay God for all he's done. It's not as though we could give back equal to what God has given Know the death and resurrection of his only son to pay the penalty of sin on behalf of sinners is an infinite price that cannot be repaid in equal measure. Not only is repaying God for what he's done for us beyond human ability, but there's also the reality that God doesn't need anything. Acts 17, 25, Paul states that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The triune God of this universe is not added to or enhanced by anything we can give to him. He's completely self-sufficient and satisfied in himself. So then if we can't repay God for what he's done for us, or we can't add anything to him, then what's the point of doing anything for God then? This is the principle. Since God has blessed us in Christ, we are now freed to serve and worship him out of an overflowing gratitude for all that he's done. There's nothing we did to earn or deserve salvation, but out of a thankful heart of love for God, we serve him and give back to him. So the first step then in repaying God is to reflect on what God has done, to reflect on what God has done. Look with me at verse 1. The psalmist begins, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He begins by declaring that he loves the Lord. And, and this declaration of his love for the Lord should, be, should remind us of the greatest commandment, the greatest purpose in life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we should remember that we love because he first Loved us. The psalmist declares his love for the Lord because of these three things. First, he declares his love for the Lord because God has heard him. In your notes, that's the first sub point there God has heard you. The psalmist says, starting in verse 1, that God has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. And into verse 2, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. In verse 3, the psalmist describes the impossible situation in which he finds himself. He says, The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. He faced what is perhaps the direst situation in his life, his soul in anguish and deepening pain. He paints a picture as though the cords of death had wrapped around him and the grave has grabbed a hold of him. There's no hope of rescue. For him, No hope that his pain will end. Yet there is hope. Yet he does have hope. He calls out to God in his distress, knowing that the Lord is attentive to his plea for mercy. Knowing that the God of the universe will not turn a deaf ear to his suffering. God does hear his prayer for rescue. God was not oblivious to what he was going through and listened to his cry for help. So it is with God today. God heard the prayer of the psalmist, and God has heard your prayer, believer. 1 Peter 3.12 tells us this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let that truth sink into your heart this morning, that God has heard you, God does hear you, The great God of this universe hears those who by faith have turned away from their sin and are trusting in Jesus. He's not some far-off deity who cares uh, nothing about what happens on this tiny speck in the universe. He's intimately acquainted with this world he created, and he's even more acquainted with those he calls his own. Like a, a loving father who kneels down to hear the cry of his hurting child, so the Lord comes hears and comes to the aid of his hurting children. This leads to the next point the psalmist makes. From his reflection, we learn not only did God hear the psalmist, but he helped him. God helped the psalmist. In verse 5, the psalmist describes the Lord as gracious, righteous, and merciful. Gracious because he's given to him what he did not deserve. God had not Had saved him not just in an eternal sense, but in a temporal sense. God rescued him in his time of trouble, merciful because God did not give him what he deserved. God preserved him and withheld his righteous judgment, but also righteous because in God's mercy and grace, God was just in treating the psalmist this way. God was right in coming to his rescue in his time of trouble and in helping him and hearing him. The psalmist declares in verse 6, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. And the word simple here, it means weak and lowly. It captures the idea of trusting in God with a childlike faith. The Lord preserves those who come to him as helpless children with no confidence in themselves. And in their time of distress, the Lord saves them as he did the psalmist. And again, saved here, it's not in the the eternal sense, as in saved from the judgment of God through Christ, though that is certainly true. But rather, the idea is to be saved out of trials and distress of this life. God rescued the psalmist and, and not only heard his cry, but God answered it. God took action. He's not just compassionate towards the suffering of his children, but he is equally capable of coming to their rescue. Now, of course, Christians are not immune from the trials of this life. We suffer in in much the same way as any person alive does. It's not that trials won't come. They will, just as they did for the psalmist. But our great hope that the world does not have is that God is working in us And through the trials and difficulties that do come, he's working for his glory and for our good. God does not immediately take us out of suffering either. Just think of Job and the suffering he endured. And sometimes it seems that the trials will never end. But the great hope that we have is that God will rescue us one day. He hears our pleas for help. When we have reached the end of ourselves... When we've no strength left and we feel crushed by the weight of this life, when our souls are tired and worn, it's hard to get out of bed sometimes and face the day. When it feels like the cords of death are wrapped around us and our souls are in anguish, God will help us, just as he did for the psalmist. The psalmist tells his soul to return to its rest in verse 7. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This particular verse resonates with me after reflecting on what God has done for him. This causes the psalmist to put his soul at rest, something that I could use a little bit more of. Rather than... My soul being at rest, I find that too often as the pressures of life build and as I'm constantly reminded of my shortcomings and my weakness, my soul is in a state of turmoil and rest seems out of reach. How would you describe the state of your soul? Would you say that your soul is at rest? Do you often feel turmoil and unease in your soul? Well, how often do you reflect on what God has done? When we find that our souls are in this state, in anything but a state of rest, we can reflect on what God has done for us and tell our souls to be at peace, knowing that God has been faithful to preserve us and that he will always be faithful to help us. The soul at rest is the soul that reflects on God's goodness. J. Vernon McGee put it this way, After a difficult, frustrating, pressure-filled day, we need to seek out a quiet place where we can confess our sins, read the Word, and talk to God. That is the sanctuary of the soul. Oh, how all of us need this. Return to thy rest, O my soul. This will enable us to walk out and face the world for God. The third thing God did for the psalmist was to heal him. God healed him. God heard him, God helped him, and God healed him. Verse 8 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. God not only heard him and helped him, but he healed him. God restored the psalmist. He took what was broken and made it whole again. For the psalmist, he had his health restored. And then he proclaimed that he would walk in the land of the living before the Lord, according to verse 9. Now, it's not as though it's always God's will to heal us of physical illnesses, as he did for the psalmist. There is a a prayer for healing, and God can certainly heal today. And he, he does perform miraculous healings, even today but but as many of us can attest to there are times where god does not heal us or our loved ones from sickness nor does he prevent physical death but nonetheless at times god does heal us according to his perfect will according to his timing not just from physical pain although sometimes he does but from emotional mental and spiritual healing it all comes from the lord Perhaps something has happened in your life that, apart from God, you would have completely given up hope. A situation that you could never recover from, let alone call yourself healed from. But this is where the healing power of our God lies. We can face the most difficult, impossible situations in life and yet not give in to despair. The Lord can and does heal our souls And gives us rest. There's healing for our hurts, comforts for our anxiety, security for our fears, and it's all found in our Lord. Has the Lord healed you? Have you experienced firsthand the loving embrace of our God? God wants to heal you. He wants to bring you through the suffering to a place of healing and restoration where you can then walk before him in the land of the living. So this is the first part of repaying the Lord is to reflect on what he's done for us, to remember his goodness. Next we're going to look at three things that we can do to repay God. So the second part of your notes there is to repay God for his goodness, to repay God for his goodness. We've seen what the Lord does or has done for the psalmist, and now we'll see what the psalmist will do for the Lord. Continue with me in verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? The psalmist looks at his life and looks at what the Lord has done for him, and in light of all of this, he asks how now that he can give back to the Lord, what he can do for God. And the first way the psalmist repays God is by declaring His salvation. Declaring His salvation. This idea of lifting up the cup in verse 13, he says, "...he will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord." This was symbolic of lifting up an offering, to giving an offering of praise to God for his salvation. The psalmist publicly declares that it is the Lord who saved him. He's unashamed to acknowledge that God is his Savior. It's an admission that it was not by anything the psalmist did that he was saved, but it was God alone. And the psalmist again calls on the name of the Lord, But this time, it's not a cry for help, but a song of praise, a call of praise to the Lord. Believers, we should publicly acknowledge that the Lord has saved us. And we should always be ready to testify to how God has heard us, how He's helped us, and how He's healed us. And as the psalmist did, we should call out to God, not only in times of trouble, but in times of prosperity not only when, when things are, are going badly for us, but when things are good, when, when we're experiencing God's blessing, and, and when life is good, we should praise God, and we should reflect on the time that He's brought us through to this time of healing, and, and thank God for those times. When we reflect regularly on what God has done for us, we can't help but praise Him, and our souls can't help but be at rest when we reflect on what God has done for us, for His goodness and His kindness to us. Have you told anyone about what God has done for you? Have you taken the time to remember all that God has brought you through? Have you voiced that to God in your words of praise toward Him? And have you shared with others in your boasting of Him? After our son passed away, shortly after he was born, one of my old friends who's not a believer, he asked the question, not to me, but, but to a mutual friend of ours. He asked, why would they choose to go through something like that? Insinuating that we should have just had an abortion and not put ourselves through all of the pain and experiencing the loss of our child. Though I've not had the chance to, to tell him why, Yet, it got me thinking about how would I answer that question? What would I say to someone if they were to ask me, why would you choose to go through something like that? Why would we choose to go through something like that when, when many w- would just entreat us to take the easy way out? Why would anyone choose to go through suffering that, that seems pointless That that seems unnecessary. Why not just do what the world suggests? Take the easy way out. It's because we who trust in God know that even though it seems so easy just to give up, to compromise the truth, or take the easy way out, we know that our God is greater than any trial, temptation, or pain that we could experience in this life. He's greater than and working through all of the grief and sorrow for our good and for his glory. We live with the hope that he will make all things right one day, wipe away all tears, and death will be no more. This is why we endure hardships and why we still sing praises to God, even in the face of great suffering. The second part of repaying God according to the psalmist here is to dedicate ourselves to his service, to declare his salvation, and to dedicate ourselves to his service. The psalmist promises in verse 14 to pay his vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He publicly pledges that because the Lord has saved him, he will use the time he's been given to serve God. God had freed the psalmist from his trial and now the psalmist vows to fulfill the work God has given him to do. See, when God saves a sinner like me, he does so not because of any good works they've done or will do, but he saves them unto good works that he's prepared ahead of time. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has set us free for his service. Just as the psalmist renewed his commitment to being an obedient servant out of a grateful heart to God's mercy, so we too should fulfill our vows to the Lord. God's given each and every believer good works to do. He's gifted each and every one of us to serve him and to obey him. Have you been doing the good works that God has called you to do, that He's planned for you? Are you reading His Word and seeking out opportunities to be obedient to it? Let the fact that God has brought you through so much, that He has heard you, that He's helped you and healed you, be your motivation to serve Him with gratitude. So we learn from the psalmist in light of the fact that God... Has done all this for him. We are to repay him by declaring his salvation, by dedicating ourselves to his service. Third and finally, by declaring our thanksgiving. By declaring our thanksgiving to God. This is the third part in repaying God for what he has done for us. Verse 17 says that the psalmist will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Now, it seems like such a simplistic idea, right, that we would thank God for what He's done for us. Yet, how often do we thank Him? Have you actually thanked God? Not in generalities, not in some general sense, oh yes, God, thank you for your goodness, but but in specifics, in in the things that God has brought you through, in the, the things that God has done for you. Have you thanked Him? In your praise to Him, in your prayers to Him, have you thanked God for what He's done? Hebrews thirteen fifteen it restates it like this. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that give thanks to His name. We are to continually give our thanks to God. We should give thanks to God for hearing our pleas for help, for helping us in our time of need when we faced impossible situations and for healing us and making us whole. Most of all, we should thank Him for saving us in the eternal sense, for giving us life eternal through His Son, Jesus. This is the ultimate blessing that God has given us. If God did nothing else for us in this life or in all of eternity but to grant us forgiveness of sin and make us right with Him, through His Son, Jesus. It would be enough for us to praise Him throughout all of eternity. Yet He has poured grace upon grace on us by coming to our rescue in times of trouble in this life. For those of you who have turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, you can be confident today that God has heard you, helped you, and healed you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't have this to be thankful for. Maybe you've not been made aware of your sinfulness and your need for salvation and have not forsaken your sin, cried out to God's Son for rescue from your sins. I urge you today, if you have not, to look to God's Son, trust in His person and work personally. Trust in his life, death, and resurrection alone for your salvation. Make Christ the Lord today, make Christ your Lord today, and be saved. I assure you that if you would forsake your sin, cry out to God's Son alone for salvation, God will hear you, help you, and heal you. Let's pray.